I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey today. A little bit, I'm going to paint you a picture. I'm going to tell you a story. Okay, the first thing, first point is that God started whispering, Reverend Greg. It was a whisper because I didn't understand really why he was saying it or what, what, what would come of it. But he whispered Joel 2.21 to me during the live stream only COVID season. And he said to me, rejoice and be glad. I'm about to do great things. And I thought, well, praise God, that's a nice word of encouragement, but I didn't really give it much more credence than that. I mean, God's always doing great things. So what does he really mean by that? I don't know. So I just tucked that away in my heart and he didn't say anything else. But I now know that when I look back, I see, ah, you were starting even back then to give us a hint. Are you listening? Now, then he said to me, as we started, we started June 14th, 13th and 14th, that weekend, we started live meetings again. And that week when I was praying, it was so weird to see everybody again. And I just did foundational teaching on that weekend. If you remember, I taught about the blood of Jesus, the Holy Ghost, the, you know, the, uh, the word of God. I just taught basic subjects on that, on that weekend. And, and as I was going through that first week, uh, the Holy Ghost said to me, he said, uh, there's a ch- now, don't get weird. You can't get weird with these things. You can't say just because it's changing from spring to summer in the natural that there's a change in the spiritual. That's just nuts. Don't be a weirdo. Okay, it's unfounded. But if God tells you and he initiates, you didn't initiate. But if he initiates, you can take it to the bank. Now, I didn't say anything, but he said to me, as the seasons are changing this weekend, he meant in the natural, because that was the beginning of summer. He said, as the seasons change in the natural this weekend, so on Sunday, there will be a change of the spirit in your Hebron year. I knew something different was going to happen Sunday, but I didn't exactly know what it was. But I knew that God said that. Now, let me explain to you what that means. When I say a change of season, it doesn't mean we throw everything out that we know. Hebron is a mansion. It's called Hebron. There are many rooms in this mansion called Hebron. When you come through the front door, you're only in the foyer. When we came through January 1st, we're in the foyer. But you don't live in the foyer. There are many rooms and sometimes secret rooms that you can only get to by prayer and fasting. And there's other rooms you just get to by being faithful. And there's other rooms you get to like the kitchen by being hungry. And there's other rooms you get to by just wanting to wait on God, like going on the, in the, in the family room and just sitting with him and just loving on him and just, and just, oh, and there's other rooms where you go and you see the future, like you go and you watch the TV and you see, you see things. And there's other rooms where he'll show you the future. And it's just like a house. There's many different rooms and they all have different angels. They all have different purposes. They all have different assignments. There's multiple rooms. There's different weaponry in each room. There's different angels. There's different financial increase. There's different assignments. There's different anointings. I'm telling you, not every room is the same in a normal house, in a natural house, and not every room is the same in a spiritual house. Okay? So that's how he showed it to me. He said, son, you're in a mansion called Hebron, like you were in a mansion called Ziglag. And it took you years to navigate all those rooms. Half the time, I didn't even know what I was doing. I just knew that the Lord said, okay, now the first six years is over. Now the second six years is over. Remember that? And then he said, now you've got three more years before you take off. 17, 18, 19. All of those were rooms. All of those we were learning. I didn't understand exactly. I didn't see it like a house, but that's how he showed it to me now. He said, every season of time, every, every phase of ministry is like a mansion. And there are many rooms and you have to navigate the rooms before you graduate to the next. 
we've navigated the rooms in Ziglag and have graduated to Hebron. Now we're in the Hebron mansion and we've only just entered it. He already told me it's going to be about seven, seven and a half years, give or take. So we know we got some time. You don't navigate all the rooms. You're not going to be in one room for six and a half years. It's going to, we're, going to, we're going to steadily get through the rooms. But oh my God, there are some rooms that are going to flip your wig. And he said to me, now with the changing of season, with June 21st, Jenny, he said, as the natural season changed, he said that you are stepping into a new room. That doesn't mean Hebron doesn't exist. It means we're in a new room within the mansion. We have left the foyer and we have come into something else. There's another assignment for this room. There's more revelation in this room. There's more instruction in this room. There's more encouragement in this room. There's new angels in this room that we never had before. There's more financial prosperity in this room. There's more weapons. There's more strategy in this room. Oh my God, there's a lot in this room. Now, on that day, I mean, you couldn't make this up, Greg. I mean, I'm looking back. I don't, I don't know what's happening at the time. I, 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 I'm not that smart. Maybe you guys would be smarter. But all I know is he said something's going to change. And I thought, okay, something's going to change. But I didn't know it would actually be on the exact day. Because sometimes God says that, but it doesn't happen until a few weeks later. Because he's not bound by time. But sometimes he's very particular. And so he said that weekend we were going to step into a new room. I didn't really know what would happen or maybe even think anything in the natural would manifest. But on that first Sunday, I mean, talk about specific, on that first Sunday, June 21st, on the second service, I'm sitting there. I'd been preaching about Gehazi in the first service and telling you just because you're around a man of God doesn't mean you're going to make it. Just because I'm your pastor don't mean you're going to make it. You better guard your heart and you better seek after God with all your heart and don't let money corrupt you. Because that's what happened to Casey. Now, I'm going to preach that sermon a second service. But as I was in the green room, the Lord said, actually, when I was in the service, the Lord said, "Um, just keep reading. Keep reading. Then I got to the next chapter, chapter six, and we see he's just lost his protege who, who became a leper. He immediately goes to his school of the prophets. Why? To get a new protege. I never saw that before. Then you see the accent and all this stuff happening, but the, that's a side issue. People look at that as the main story. The main story was he was going to get another assistant. Then immediately you see the king, the enemy king of Syria coming against him because he keeps finding out by the Holy Ghost what the enemy king is going to do to Israel. And he keeps warning the king of Israel so that there's no loss to Israel. And the enemy king sends people to assassinate, well, really to kidnap him, and then they're going to assassinate him. And they say he's in Dothan. The spies tell him, and he comes down. Remember, now we, hear, we see the first time of the young man who was the new protege in place of Gehazi. This young man, the Bible calls him a young man, so he wasn't an old man. And he was obviously in school because he was in the school of the prophets. What a privilege to be selected amongst all those men, all those young men, and to be said, you personally will take care of Elisha. The Bible says he woke up early in the morning, and I would too if I were him because I'd be peeing my britches. I want to make sure the eggs are perfect. I want to make sure his blanket's nice and warm on him. I want to have the wash pot ready. I want to have the fire prepped. I want to have everything because... This is a man of God. I don't play games with this. This is my job to watch over him and make sure that he lacks for nothing. And I don't even want nothing to do with money. Don't even pay me because I saw what happened to that guy when he got the wrong heart about money. So I want to guard my heart, my God. I just want to be right. I'm telling you, God revealed by the Spirit to me that that was the heart of that young man. 
Uh, it says a little bit of it in the Bible, but, but, but by the Spirit I know, by revelation knowledge, I know that that young man was waking up early. The word early means to toil and to labor. And so it says it in the Bible, he woke up early to do a good job, to work hard for Elisha. But I believe that shows his heart. I don't believe he was just working hard because he, was, he had to. I think he was working hard because he wanted to please Elisha and he wanted to please God and he probably didn't feel worthy of being picked. Do you understand? And so the Lord said to me, as I'm reading that about that young man, and remember they send the people down to Dothan to kill him, and he comes and he sees the army and he goes, oh man of God, Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha smirks and says, Father, we didn't say Father, he said God, he said God open the, uh, the young man's eyes that he may see. There are far more with us than them that be against us. And he opens his eyes. Greg, he sees into the realm of spirits. He has, a, he, has a, he has one of those nine gifts in operation called the discerning of spirits. And he sees, can you imagine a horse that is made of fire and a chariot that is made of fire and an angel in a fire chariot with a drawn sword? I mean, that will freak you out. And he, what did he do? He saw the supernatural power of God to deliver them. He saw some things and the word of the Lord came to me and he said to me, because you stayed put, what's he talking about? He's talking about Pastor Nancy and he'll say the same to you regarding me. He notices when people leave and he notices when people stay put. He, he watches very closely faithfulness. He said, because you stayed put, unlike Gehazi, because you stayed put, you're that young man. And I'm telling you, I'm letting you know, are you listening? I'm letting you know, you're about to see some things. And what did he mean? He means as he saw the supernatural, you're about to see supernatural things. That was a pretty heavy, that was pretty heavy. Put up the exact wording for me, so that they, what I wrote in my journal. If Gehazi had stayed put and guarded his heart, he would have seen some things. But I raised up another young man who saw the glory of God with his man of God. Because you've stayed put and continue being right, you're going to see some things, my supernatural power. And then he reminded me, the other churches got away from the plan of God. That's why they lost the mantle, but God put it on us. And so far we have, so far, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want that testimony to change, but so far we have pleased God and we still have it. That assignment for Toronto. And that doesn't mean we're the best church in Toronto. We're the only church in Toronto. You understand? I'm not proud and arrogant. I'm just saying God has an assignment. Absolutely. So, so Blair, I, I looked at that word. It really hit me. It, it blessed me. It helped me. But I, I don't make more of things than I should. Because that's how you get weird and into error. So I didn't take one word from God and now make it the biggest thing in the whole world. I took it for what it was. I appreciated it. I wrote it down. I honored it. And I thought, I'm sure that was just a, 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 a one-off. You know what I mean? He's just telling me one thing and that's it. So then now in the, in the week, the week's passing and I'm coming up to June 28th, which is the next Sunday after I preach this. And uh, the Lord started showing me something else, which I'm going to preach later today. He started showing me a part of something else. And I was going to preach it on the 28th last Sunday and he restrained me and he said, no, it's not time to preach that yet. The reason why it wasn't time is because he showed me something at prayer meeting last week. On Thursday, standing right there, he pulled the veil back and I saw something. And if I had preached it last week, I would have ruined it because it wasn't ready to be preached till today. And last week, he, I, he said, I want you to repeat what you said about the young man. I said, Lord, there's a lot of other stuff I need to cover. Why do we need to repeat this? But I've learned to not argue with him. For whatever reason, it was important to him that I repeated it. 
And so I got in the morning service at 10 o'clock a week ago, and I couldn't get away from Joel 22 about just agree with God, and you'll have peace and good will come unto you. And there's a reason why he was emphasizing that. That's why you've got to listen to every service because he'll say something in one service and he won't repeat it in another when you're a present. But what he said in that service affects everything else that he's saying in the other services. And if you don't listen to all the services, you didn't hear what he said. Everything is connected. It's a domino effect. Do you understand? Very few things are standalone in this season. So he had me focus on agree, 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 just agree. I mean, it was as much for my sake as it was for your sake. And I'll explain to you why in a minute. But he was emphasizing agree, just agree. Don't try to figure it out, just agree, just agree. Don't try to figure it out, just agree. I'm thinking, why are you hammering this? I got to get over. You told me to repeat the sermon about the young man, but I couldn't in the 10 a.m. service. He was hammering the word agree, but I know now why. You'll understand in a few minutes. Then I get to the second service, Greg, and now he, and, and he released me. And so I did a little bit on the agree, and then I got into it, and he started to reveal more as I'm preaching, which I didn't know the week before. But he, I was, he was emphasizing again, this young man and that service, he laid out the qualifications. He showed me by the Spirit that that young man was following the four H's, just like he told me to follow the four H's. Humility, hunger, holiness, and honor. And that they are qualifications for Hebron. And then he said a phrase that was curious to me. He said, because you continue to qualify. And I said, what do you mean continue to qualify? I qualified in, in a zigzag. I don't need to qualify anymore. And he spoke something to me. that was revelation knowledge, Greg. He said, son, you have to qualify in every new season. He said, just because you were in the mansion of Ziglag does not mean you qualify to get into the mansion of Hebron. I have Hebron for you. That's my will for you. But you must qualify now like you qualified then. God is constantly looking because just because I've qualified then, I'm in another season. I'm in a higher flow. There's more responsibility. There's more rooms. Hebron is totally different. I don't qualify just because I arrived. Just because I passed that test doesn't mean I'm automatically qualified to pass this test. There has to be a continued qualification in every new season. Are you with me? And Jerusalem will also have a qualification. But he hasn't shown me that because I can barely wrap my mind around this. So he says, so that service last Sunday, the second service, he really hammered about, I said, you're going to see some things. You don't understand what I'm saying to you, boy. I said you're going to see supernatural power. Now, you keep qualifying like you did then, now, and he said something else. He said, and it's going to start now. It's not reserved for Jerusalem only. It's going to start now. But the fullness will be for then, but it's going to start now. So then I I perked my ears because I'm not stupid, and I went to the green room and I said, Lord, why would you emphasize this two Sundays in a row? You rarely do that. This must be something important because otherwise, why would you take the time? Why would you compel me? Like I knew if I didn't preach it, I would be in direct disobedience to the Holy Ghost. It wasn't an option. It wasn't a light thing. It was a heavy thing. I said, Lord, why did you have me do that twice? And and then it started to dawn on me. I, I still didn't know to what measure, but it dawned on me. Oh my gosh, there's something bigger here than I realize. And that's why he's taking time. So right, let me read uh, when I went to the green room and I wrote it out in my journal exactly word for word what he said to me. Put that next one up. This was the next, this, that was the 21st, the first quote. This is what he showed me on the 28th. You're that young man. Your church is that young man. And because you have stayed with your man of God and with the word and the spirit and because you have stayed humble and hungry in honor and holiness, he even quoted the four H's. 
You're going to see some things. Remember the same phrase, you're going to see some things. I'm not going to let my, you're going to, I'm going to let you see my supernatural power. I'm going to show you my glory. But, now watch, now he explains the four H's in other terminology. But stay small in your own eyes like that young man did. What is that? Humility. And stay in holy fear and reverence like he did. What's that? Honor. When you reverence God, you honor God. The next thing, getting up early in the morning to pray, wanting to do a good job. What's that? Hunger. Nobody that's not hungry gets up early in the morning and wants to, has a passion to please God. But if you're hungry, you do. Watching himself as he walked circumspectly. What's that? Holiness. You want to walk right. You want to live right. You don't want to mess up. You see, he listed all those in different words, but it's the same thing. You do the same. Now watch the Reverend Greg, and you'll continue. I didn't understand that phrase. That's why I asked him, what do you mean continue? I thought I already qualified. He said, you qualified then. That doesn't mean you qualified now. You continue doing the same and you'll continue to qualify in Hebron as you qualified in Ziglag and you'll start to see it. What's it? The supernatural power of God. And you'll start to see it. We're going to see some things. That's the it. And you'll start to see it now. Hebron is now. This seven years is now, but the fullness of it is reserved for Jerusalem. But in other words, he was saying, don't just always push everything off to Jerusalem. I've got a whole ton for Hebron that you don't even know about. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So that Sunday, the 28th comes and goes and he's hammered agree. And then he's given me this further revelation. So I'm thinking, now, Lord, I don't know what to do with all this. Now you've done two Sundays in a row. Obviously, this is bigger than I thought. Well, let me tuck this away, but I'll pay more attention. I didn't pay much attention the first week, but I'll pay more attention. I don't know if you want to say something more than you say something more. If not, then I'll just move on with you. But, but you're obviously saying something. You're trying to get my attention. You're trying to tell me we're going to see supernatural power. Now, I know that sounds general, but when God says it to you, it ceases to be general. It becomes very real to you. So Wednesday comes and I'm praying. What do I preach tonight, Lord? I don't know what to preach. I've got a thousand sermons, but I don't know which is the right one. And I heard him say, Dr. Dufresne, Dr. Dufresne. He said about it seven times, Dr. Dufresne, Dr. Dufresne. I said, what do you mean, Dr. Dufresne? I don't know what you mean by when you say Dr. Dufresne. I'm asking what I should preach. You want me to preach on Dr. Dufresne? And I heard the Holy Spirit say, go into your office. There's a CD from Dr. Dufresne. Listen to it. I looked in my office. There's only one CD in the whole office that was of Dr. Dufresne. Just one. So I didn't have to wonder which one it was. It was one. It was called the effects of the presence of God. I went out into my car to get away from the noise because now the kids are at home, right? I went out in my car to go pray. I put on the CD and within the first 10 minutes, two times he says, and you're going to see some things. And my ears go bing. And I said, my God. And the whole CD is him preaching about the church needing to see again the supernatural power of God. And he gave stories in the Bible how they saw the supernatural power of God. And he gave personal testimonies of how men that he knows and himself have seen the supernatural power of God. And then he ended the CD and even my kids, their hairs on their head and neck were standing on on end. He ended the CD by playing that thing in a service years before where that wind came in, physical wind. You can hear it on the recording and it just, it's just, it's just weird. You can hear it coming. And he falls over, the pastor falls over, the tape recorder falls on the ground and stops recording. 
And the wind of God's treasures, the Bible says, will come. And it came into that service. That was a supernatural act as a sign and a wonder of the power of God. And, I, and, and that God did something very unusual. Greg, I've heard thousands of CDs, as you have. I've played a handful in our church, never audio only, always a video. That's the first time I've ever played an audio recording only. But God did such an unusual thing that night. I don't know how to explain it to anybody other than to say this. It was like Dr. Dufresne was standing in the building, but I know he wasn't. But that anointing that I would feel in person with him years ago was in the room. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying. That anointing that that was very unique to him that I have not felt since the last time I saw him. I felt that anointing as that thing was playing. And I've heard many of his recordings since he died. But that's the first time it's like God put his hand supernaturally and allowed me to feel as though he was here preaching to me. Secondly, it felt like it was in real time, even though it was 32 years old. And thirdly, it felt like it was personally for this church, even though it was preached at this church in Tulsa in May 1988. But it was, a, it was not natural. You can't explain that. It was like God supernaturally cocooned us, or at least me. I don't know about everybody else, but in that service. And it was like it was, a, it was like God real time live to our church speaking through my spiritual father. And that's never happened to me before. And it might never happen again. Why did God do that? I'm sitting there while he's preaching. Tears are coming down my face because I feel the anointing, his anointing. I feel it. The last time I felt it was the last time I saw him. When he said to me, come son, I was preaching at his Bible school and three, three days in a row, he took me out for lunch. And on the last day, I didn't know that would be the last time I saw him. But on the last day, he looked at me square in my eyes and he said, don't ever stop preaching the word of the spirit. Don't ever stop preaching faith. There's so many that are stopping, son. Don't you ever stop preaching it. And I said, dad, of course, I'm never going to stop preaching. it. Why are you telling me this? Why are you so intense? And two weeks later, he was dead. Dad Hagen, right before he died, told Doc Horton, don't ever stop preaching the word of faith. Don't ever stop preaching the word in the spirit. And a week later, he was dead. And that same anointing that I felt when I was around him physically was in this room on Wednesday night. And I've never experienced that since. And I probably never, I don't know, maybe I'll never experience it again, but it was something supernatural. And I'm sitting there with tears coming down my eyes saying, Lord, what are you doing? This is the most bizarre thing I think I've ever experienced listening to a CD before. And the Lord said, I'm trying to get your attention, boy. I told you, you're going to see some things and you're not realizing what I'm saying. Now I'm going to speak to you through your spiritual father. He is telling you that signs and wonders are on the way. The supernatural power of God will be demonstrated in the church. And I'm telling you, just like that young man saw supernatural signs and wonders, you're going to see it. I mean, when God does it that way over multiple occasions, not just one, not one sitting, but multiple days, multiple weeks, multiple experiences, you, you start to actually believe it. And you start to have a holy fear about you. That was Wednesday, July the 1st. Now we come to two, Thursday, July the 2nd, a few days ago. I come in here. I'm so excited to pray, but I don't know what to pray about. <laughs> I'm excited to pray. I'm happy. To, I'm looking forward to praying. My motive, my attitude is right, but I feel totally dead like a doornail. I don't have, feel any anointing. I, don't, I have no idea what to pray about. So when you don't know what to do, pray in tongues. So I just said, everybody go fishing. I'm going to go fishing, and I'm just going to pray. And so I started praying and praying. We prayed a bit for Delaware, but I knew that was part of it, but that wasn't the main thing. And we're praying and praying and praying and praying. And all of a sudden, I heard these words come up in my spirit. See, if you just stay long enough, the Holy Ghost will show you. Yeah. Too, too many people, you, you, you quit too quick. 
Just pray long enough with the attitude, if you don't show me, I'll just pray in tongues and it was worth it anyway. Okay? I don't need him to talk to me. I don't need him to show me. But if he wants to, he will. I'm going to pray in tongues anyway. And I heard these words, dramatic influx of divine joinings. Dramatic influx of divine joinings. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me because that's what Pastor Nancy prophesied over this church. So just put up that. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to show you the words so that you, you believe me. I'm not lying. I pronounce, I pronounce over this church divine joinings. Those who are joined divinely. And I thank you for the increase of that father. That was October 17th, 2018. Quite a while ago, wasn't it? And then later in that same prophecy, go down, and she continued to prophesy and said, thank you for the influx, the dramatic influx of people. They come in Jesus' name. The dramatic influence, and ah, yeah, yeah, people will be jealous, and she went on. But repeatedly, she said the dramatic influx. Now, I had just been meditating because if you listen to the video log for July 1st, I gave you some confessions. That was the last confession. It had been rolling around in me on that day that I was preaching about Dr. Dufresne. It rolled around in me about to get back to that prophecy. And so I put that in my video log. Well, the next morning, I'm praying, praying. My mind's totally blank. I have no idea what to pray for, so I'm praying in tongues. I told you I'm taking you on a journey. You were still with me? And I heard the Holy Ghost say, pray out for a dramatic influx of divine joinings. Now, in my mind, because she said it in the same prophecy, but said it separately, it wasn't in the same sentence with her. She, made, she mentioned them independently of each other. I've always seen them, Greg, as independent. Divine joinings and then a divine influx. But he put them together as a sentence. He said, son, it's a divine influx of, it's a dramatic influx of divine joinings. I'm talking about one and the same thing in the same prophecy. She might have worded it separately, but it's the same thing. What is the dramatic influx? It's a dramatic influx of divine joinings. What does that mean? People coming to promise of life church, but not because they're forced and not because their arm is twisted and not because they feel they have to and not because it's a mental decision. God divinely, supernaturally, grabbing and getting their attention and joining them to this vision. And that kind of thing would happen to the point where it would be considered a dramatic influx. Are you with me? So I'm praying out. I'd never put the sentence together. I'm praying out dramatic influx of divine joinings, dramatic influx of divine joinings. And the anointing came on me unusual. I started to groan and intercede about the divine joinings. And then I started to command and get like an aggressive kind of thing to call forth the dramatic influx. And then I, it's like I grabbed both of them at the same time, like a live wire. And I was praying it out, 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 praying it out. And then these words started coming up in my spirit. Just two words, surging, surging, surging forward surging forward. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, son, what do you think a dramatic influx is? When there's an influx, there's a surge. A dramatic influx is a massive surge, like a tsunami of water. Those words came up out of my spirit, a surging forward, a surging forward, a surging forward. So I'm naming this today, a dramatic influx of divine joinings that causes us to surge forward. And I started praying that out, surging. If you were here, you know, you witnessed it. If you weren't, then that's fine. But I started praying it out, a surging forward, a surging forward. And then, now listen, I'm going to teach you something, but pay attention. Don't get weird. Some people believe there's a church in the States that teach this, and they're completely in error. They teach that every hand motion is symbolic and means something. 
If you scratch your ear, God is trying to tell you about your hearing. If you, you know, if you, whatever. It's just nonsense. And if I told you the name of the church, most of you would know the name of the church. So believe me, there's a lot of false doctrine going around. Not every hand motion you do in prayer means anything. So stop being weird. The only time it means something is if God tells you it means something. And don't try to do weird motions with your hands while you're praying to try to make it mean something. Dad Hagen said on a handful of occasions when he'd pray, his, he would be prompted to move his hand in a certain way and the word of the Lord would come to him in one case and say, your, your, your influence is this big, but if you do this, it's going to be this big and if you do this, it's going to be this big and then it's going to be this big. But that was by the Spirit. He didn't make that up. He didn't try to initiate that. God just came on him and I, I never even think about that stuff. I didn't cross my mind. But as I'm praying, surging forward, surging forward, I heard the Holy Ghost say, follow my promptings with your hand. Now he rarely says that to me. So don't take that and make it a doctrine. But I started, I said, okay, Lord. And I started, and so it was like, he was guiding me. I don't know. Cause I didn't know what, what motions to do, but I was, my tongues changed and I started to pray. And then there was like a pause in the tongues. And I did this with my hands, this, and then it went did it, uh, praying in tongues, this, and then 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 that repeated about 10 or 12 times. And I kind of got tired of it, to be honest with you, because it was kind of violent. And I, in my mind, I said, as I'm praying, I said, Lord, when is this going to be over? Whatever we're doing here, when is it going to be over? And I, I kept going a few times. And then it's like a roar came out of me. And, I, and, as I, and then I was saying it in English. I didn't know what this was. But then I, it came out of me. And a surging forward. It was like bang, 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 bang. And a surging forward. So I'm saying, Lord, what is, and I mean, it was a strong anointing. An unusually strong anointing. When that happens, I pay attention because my anointing is not always that strong on me when I'm praying. And so I said, now, Lord, tell me, tell me, what was I praying there? I, I, remember the Bible says, ask that you may interpret. That doesn't mean you'll get it, but you can ask. I said, Father, I need to, if you're willing to show me, what was that? Because I know this was a surging forward. I said that out as I prayed, but this was just in tongues. What was I doing? And I began to interpret. I began to prophesy and interpret my tongues. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, one month, more or less the same. And another, the same. And another month, the same. And another month, the same. And another month, looking like nothing's changing. And another month, a little bit of increase, but not much. And another, and it went on and on and on. And then, and a surging forward. I said, Lord, what are you saying? Then he pulled his hand back. Remember I said he started to show me revelation, but only part A. Then he pulled his hand back and I saw part B. And he said, you preach this Sunday. So can I show you what he wants me to tell you? You're okay? You're not bored? If you're bored, something's wrong with you. Because most people just read the Reader's Digest from the pulpit. And at least I'm not doing that. Turn with me, please. Quickly, quickly to the book of 2 Kings. I had to give you the backstory or it wouldn't make sense. 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Remember, I told you this is the young man that sees the chariots of fire. Now, the Lord said to me after that, he said, keep reading. So I kept reading and I want you to read what I'm reading. Are you with me now? Second Kings chapter six. And it says there that uh, they went their way after the men that had been, remember, he smote them blind. Then he released them of their blindness and said, go back to your king. And it says at the end of verse 23, the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Then immediately the next verse, it says, and it came to pass after this, that Benedad, king of Syria, gathered all his host. <laughs> so there was a passage of time at some point. There's some time passed. We don't know how long. Because after that manifestation of being blind and the chariots of fire and all that, they stopped bugging Israel for a while. They got scared. 
But then some time passed and they got arrogant again and they decided to come and besiege Samaria. Same king, same nation. Are you with me? And I came, are you still with me? And it came to pass, praise God, where are we now? Verse 24. And it came to pass after this that Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung. Add that to your menu. For five pieces of silver. That's like paying $100 for half of a scrap of dog poo. And they would eat it because they're starving. Are you with me? And the king of Israel was passing upon the wall. There cried a woman unto him saying, help, O Lord, my king. And he said, if the Lord does not help, where do you think I'm going to help you? Out of the barn floor, out of the wine press? In other words, I've got nothing. I'm starving along with you. And the king said unto her, what aileth thee? And she answered, this woman said unto me, give thy son that we may eat him today. And then, and we will, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I gave unto her on the next day. And I said unto her on the next day, give me your son that we may eat him. And she has hid now her son. Oh my God. And it came to pass when the king heard these words of the woman that he rent his clothes. And he passed by upon the wall. And the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. The king is realizing, if I thought it was bad, it's a lot worse than I ever thought. My people have become animals. They are murdering and eating, cannibalizing their own babies. Do you understand how serious this is? I know it's hard for us, our minds to fathom. I'd rather die than boil my son and eat him. Just let me die. But these people, I don't know, lost their minds. Then he said, God do so and more to me if the head of Elisha, the son of Saphat, stands on him this day. In other words, let God decapitate me if I don't get detected decapitate him. When people go through real bad times, the first one they blame is the preacher. There was nothing wrong with Elisha. Elisha didn't do this. It was his ungodly behavior that opened the door for the, for the king of Syria to come and besiege him. But of course, he's mad at Elisha. Elisha's not being besieged. Elisha's fine because he's in the blessing. But the one that's in the curse hates the one that's in the blessing. Are you with me? All right. Where was I? What verse? 32, and Elisha sat in his house. He's not in there. He's in another place. And the elders sat with him and the king sent a man. He's really an assassin. And he's also his aide, like his assistant from before him. But before the messenger came to Elisha, he said to the elders, see ye how the son of a murderer has sent to take away my head by the word of knowledge he knew. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast. At the door is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. By the word of knowledge, the prophet knows the son of the murderer is sending somebody to kill me. When he gets here, hold him at the door. Don't let him in because the king is right behind him. And sure enough, exactly what the prophet said came to pass. And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him. Now, the King James doesn't explain it right. It said, and he said, you think it's the messenger speaking, but it's not. It's the king speaking. I'll read it from another translation in a second. And he said, the king said, behold, this evil is of the Lord. How long? Why should I even wait for the Lord anymore? Now, it doesn't really do justice unless you read it from the, from the Amplified. You can read it from other translations, but the Amplified is a good one. So let me read it to you. Second Kings, what am I, Taylor? Chapter 6, verse what? Verse 33. 
And let me read it from the Amplified. And it says, And while Elisha was talking with them, behold, the messenger came to him. And then the king also came. And the relenting king, (laughs) relenting, said, This evil is from the Lord. Why should I any longer even wait expectantly for God to withdraw his punishment? What, Elisha, can be done now? These are the words of a desperate man. Listen to me closely. This is a man that wanted to kill the prophet. He comes to kill him, realizes that he can't, and he is so broken, he is at the end of his rope. There's no fight left in him. He was just raging, wanted to kill because he's so upset. But when he realizes he can't, the guys are protecting him, he just crumples to the ground. And he says, God's punishment's never going to end. There's no hope. What am I going to do, O man of God? And he falls down. If this man is an ungodly king who's a murderer, he called him a murderer. He does not deserve mercy. He deserves to die. And God, in his abundant mercy, sees the murderer fall to the ground in 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 a heap of desperation and hopelessness. And God's heart is touched. And God begins to prophesy through the same one that he tried to kill. <laughs> Reverend Greg, it's astonishing. And in verse chapter 7, Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. The guys, I bet you, on the ground, hurting and desperate and wanting to quit. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. In other words, in our vernacular, you paid $100 for one slice of bread. But tomorrow you'll buy 100 loaves for one penny. That's the difference. They're eating their children this is not possible. How could you go from one slice being worth $100 to 100 loaves of bread being worth a penny? It's not possible. Now watch. And the Lord, the assassin, the assistant, the aide, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, you better watch how you answer, my people. This is what the word of the Lord is coming to. You better watch how you answer. Behold, if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, this, might, this thing couldn't even be. Even if God opened the heavens, he couldn't do it. Oh, that's a wrong answer. And he said, Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. You You don't agree with God, you disqualify yourself. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said to one another, Why sit we here till we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we'll die there. And if we sit here, we'll die here also. So now therefore come, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. I mean, this is good logic. We're dying, we're dying, we might as well go there. If they kill us, who cares? And they rose up in the twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. 
And they said to one another, Lo, the king of Israel is hired against us, the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and the camp as it was and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went to one tent, did eat and drink and carried away silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, We are not doing well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come let, that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the porter of the city and they told them saying, we came to the camp of the Syrians. Behold, there was no man there, neither the voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied and the tents as they were. And he called to the porters and they told it to the king's house. And the king rose in the night and said unto his servants, I will not show you what the Syrians have done unto us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field saying, when they come out of the city, we'll catch them alive and get into the city. He thinks it's a trap. And one of the servants answered, and it goes on. I won't, I won't go on. Just skip down there. So in verse 14, and they took, therefore, two chariot horses, only five left in the city. Take two chariot horses. And the king sent after the host of the Syrians saying, go and see. So now the king's guards are taking the last remaining horses and they're going to the camp to see. And when, and they went after them unto Jordan and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels that the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king and the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. And the king appointed the Lord. Remember his aide, his assassin? And the Lord appointed the, the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate of the city. And the people trod upon him in the gate. They stampeded. And he died as the man of God had said who spoke when the king came down to him. And it came to pass as the man of God had spoken to the king saying two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And that the Lord answered the man of God and said now behold if the Lord should make windows in heaven might such a thing be. He said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. And so it fell out unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. God led me, he said, Son, remember, I'm talking about Gehazi. And he said, Keep reading. And then he showed me about the young man. I'm going to, you're going to see some things. Then he repeats that the next Sunday. Then he uses Dr. Dufresne to say, You're going to see some supernatural signs and wonders. Now he says, keep reading. After I got past the chariots and Dothan and all that stuff, remember? He says, keep reading. And I read the story. And he gave me two revelations. One came on Thursday, the bigger, the big one. The smaller one came about a week and a half ago. Let me tell you the smaller one first and then the big one. When I read the story the first time, I didn't see all of it. I only saw part of it. But this is the first part that he showed me. If you're writing notes, if you're not, that's fine. Just listen. But this is the first part that he showed me. He said these words to me. I told you that you're going to see some things because you stayed put. What does that mean? Faithful. And because you get up early. Remember the young man got up early? That represented the hunger and the holiness and all that kind of stuff. The qualifications. I told you you're going to see some things because you stayed put and you get up early like that young man. Now listen, this is, the, this is what he showed me by this, what I just read you. And if I tell you you're going to see some things, then you will. And he then he worded it. Sometimes God will talk to you in a way like your spiritual parents have talked to you. Remember when he called Samuel? 
he thought it was Eli because it had Eli's tone of voice, voice timber. It sounded like Eli because God uses familiarity, familiar things to speak to us sometimes. Then he said it to me in the same way that Dr. Dufresne would say it. Dr. Dufresne would say it in the same way that his spiritual father, Lester Sumrall, would say it. He learned this from Lester Sumrall. Lester Sumrall, when he, he was very gruff, but Lester Sumrall, when he would look at you and he was trying to get you, to say, he'd say, and he's a preacher, he'd say, and you better believe it. That's what he'd say. And doctor picked that up from him. And many times I'd be with him in the restaurant and he'd look at him and say, and you better believe it. He learned that from his spiritual father. God said it to me the same tone, the same way as Dr. Dufresne would say it to me. Because sometimes he does that because he's my Eli. And he said these words to me. He said, when I tell you, you're going to see some things, you will. And you better believe it. He said it that way to me. Okay, (laughs) are you still with me? Just like I told the king, and it happened exactly like I said. When I tell you, you better believe it. Now remember, he's building upon the young man Elisha. He saw the chariots of fire. Now we're into a totally unrelated story, but it's connected. He said, I told you, you're going to see some things. And when I tell you, you're going to see it, you better believe it. I told the king of Israel, you're about to see some things. And when I tell you, you better believe it. Now listen to this. This will bless you. He said, agree with me. That's why he had me preaching on that agree thing. He said, just agree with me, son. Don't try to figure it out with your head and don't get into your mind about it or you'll be like his aid and you'll disqualify yourself. When God said to the king, you're about to see some stuff. And the man beside him, the assistant, the helper, the leader said, that's impossible. Not only did it displease God, it disqualified him. Now the Lord said to me, you're under a misconception, son. You think by trying to figure things out with your mind, by saying it's impossible because your brain can't fathom it, you're under the misconception that that's just a misdemeanor, that that's just a wrist slapping, worthy of a wrist slapping. I'm telling you, it will disqualify you. A lot of people, that God tells them something and they try to argue with them. Well, that's impossible. How's that going to work? I can't figure that out. And they think they're just having a conversation with God, but he's tolerant of that. He's intolerant of that. When you try to figure it out with your mind and you argue with him instead of agree, you disqualify yourself from what he's trying to get to you. So now part A, this is Revelation 1, part A. He said, when I tell you you're going to see some things, you're going to see it and you better believe it. Part B, he said, don't try to figure this out with your mind. If you do, you'll disqualify yourself. Part three, he said, if I can do it for a carnal king in the Old Testament who was a murderer at heart, how much more can I do it for you? God did it for a murderous king in the Old Testament with lesser covenants and lesser promises. And he showed me that, Blair. He said, if I can do it for that king who is a murderer, can't I do it for you? If I'm telling you, you better believe it. Don't touch it with your thought life. You'll disqualify yourself. Just agree. If I can do it for him, I'll do it for you. And part four, the last part of Revelation 1, he said, if I can use four hopeless lepers who are dying, I can use anyone. In other words, don't try to figure it out, Greg. You'd think God would sweep down with angels or that the mightiest men of the kingdom would come on shining white horses to the rescue. God picked four lepers who were dying, hopeless, no hope in the world, and God used them to cause a miracle. In other words, 
We can't figure out how he's going to do it. We shouldn't even try because he is able to use the least likely of sources if he so chooses. Are you with me? I'm almost done. Are you with me? I'm building to the climax. Are you with me? He says you're going to see some things. Then the next week he says, I said you're going to see some things. Supernatural power and it starts in Hebron. Then he says you're going to see signs and wonders. Your father said you're going to see it. Signs and wonders in Hebron. Then when I think it's all over, he shows me this. And the first thing he says is, when I tell you you're going to see it, you're going to see it and you better believe it. Don't touch it with your thoughts. Don't try to figure it out. Don't say it's impossible. Just agree. If you argue with me, you disqualify. Just agree. (laughs) If I did it for him, I can do it for you. You're not a murderer. He was. And if I can use lepers, I can use anyone. Don't try to figure it out. Now, I thought that's pretty powerful. I mean, I'm flying high. I write that down. I'm saying, my God, I wanted to preach this last Sunday, but he had me repeat the sermon. Why? Because of Thursday morning. Thursday morning, July 2nd, I'm praying out divine joy, a dramatic influx of divine joining, surging, surging, surging. And then I'm doing this. And what? then the Lord says, one month, one month, one month, one month, one month, and then a surge. And then, Jenny, I'm in the spirit. Now, when I say that I'm in the spirit, I mean, I'm in the spirit. I'm in the spirit. I'm not, I'm aware of my surroundings, but I'm in the spirit when I'm praying. God's been dealing. God's been interpreting tongues. God's, the anointing on me is very heavy. And, and I see that he's saying, okay, a surging forward is coming. And then he pulled his hand away, Jenny. What I didn't see in the story that he pulled his hand away to let me see, which is why he didn't want me to preach it till now, is Reverend Greg, he showed me. <laughs> he showed me that king who had less than nothing, he was under the barrel. They're eating each other. It was the same one day, and the same the next day, and the same the next day, and getting worse the next day, and the same the next day, and the same the next day, and then all of a sudden, in one day, it turned. In one word, a surge. And they went from paying $100 for a slice to 100 loaves for a penny. That's, my brother and sister, what you call a dramatic influx. Now, I am praying this word that Pastor Nancy prophesied that he told me to start really focusing on. I'm praying this is about people joining the church. Surging is about people. But the story is not about people. The story is about money and food. Food represents revelation from the word and money represents financial supply, money. And I said, but Lord, the story you're giving me is about not people, it's about food. And he said, I'm giving you the story as a symbolic parallel, son, but it is connected to the word of the prophet. And the word of the prophet was talking about the growth of your church. Divine joinings, a dramatic influx of divine joinings is people being added to Promise of Life Church. And the surge that I'm talking about is there is going to come a surge of people being added to this church and now I'm giving you a scripture to back that up that surge is about people added to your church they will bring with them finances there will be an abundance of revelation of scripture when that happens but I'm talking about people surging and I saw it Jenny one month the same one month the same one month the same 
That king was walking the wall, Greg. One day the same, one day the same, and then God intervened. And it looked impossible, and yet he had to agree. The one that didn't agree died, but the one that agreed saw the glory of God. And I'm telling you, he showed it to me. It's so real, I feel like I could hold it in my hands. It's It's so tangible to me. He said to me, praying on Thursday morning, he said, I've been building you up to get you to this place. I told you you're going to see some things. Then I told you again, you're going to see some things. Then I told you through Dr. Dufresne, you're going to see signs, wonders, and power. And now I'm telling you that if you, if I tell it to you, believe it. Don't get in your thoughts, you'll disqualify. If I could do it for him, I'll do it for you. If I could use lepers, I'll use anybody. Just agree. And now I'm showing you, finally, after all of that, I'm showing you as it was with the king. It looked like there was nothing. And one day he surged. It will be for this church. It looks from one month to the next like nothing's happening. But I will move in power. And there is coming on the horizon a surge. And I'm telling you, that's supernatural. There'd be no way I would say that. I have to preach this sermon by faith. It would be easy for me to keep it quiet. Because then when the devil speaks to me and says, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. Don't preach that. That goes on record. Then when it doesn't happen, you won't be embarrassed. That's what he says. So it takes faith to preach what God says because my mind can't fathom how he's going to do it. But I'm telling you, as my name is Craig Field, he said to me, a surge is coming. Don't try to figure it out. Just say out of your mouth. I said, Lord, how would I do this? If I don't understand it, what do I do? He said, speak. Your job is not to understand. Your job is to say. You don't need to understand how it's coming. You don't need to know when it's coming. You just need to say it's coming and believe that it's coming. And so I've been saying every day and I'm going to be saying it until I see it. Father, I believe I have received a dramatic influx of divine joinings and we will surge forward. And I don't care if it happens next month, next year, or five years from now, it will come to pass. Because God said it. I didn't say it. If you think I'm after numbers or money or fame or fortune or I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying to be prideful or I have a big ministry, you don't know anything about me. Because I don't even want that in the natural Let me travel. Let me race fast cars on the Autobahn. Let me shoot my gun. And let me have a nice, sweet church that doesn't require too much of my time so I can enjoy my beautiful wife and see my kids grow up. Let me hang around mama. I want to be around her more. Just give me a small church, God, just a little country church so I can go and enjoy all the other things you've got for me. Don't give me too much here because the more people, the more needs, the more requirements. The more problems, the more devils, the more lawsuits, the more staff. Oh, God. I have no ambition, but God said it. And I know he said it because of the mantle. He said it because of the mantle, Reverend Greg. He said, are you listening to me? He said, get the people in unity. You've got to stand with me on this. He said, tell them they don't have to understand how this is going to happen like that man didn't understand. Their job is just to agree. Just say it will come to pass. I don't know. Maybe God will have us raise the dead on television and all of a sudden there's a surge. Maybe like the pastor I heard about in Mexico, 
who's not part of David's work. He's an independent. But he was at home. The secretary called him, Greg. Pastor, you, on a Monday morning, you better come down. I don't know what's going on here. There's people here. I don't know who they are. So he comes down. He doesn't know what's happening. There's 100 people in his parking lot. His church only seats 100. He's got 75 in his congregation. And all of them said, God told us to come to this address this morning. What do you have for us? He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. He said, come in. And he started preaching. And they all got born again. While the service is going on, the secretary beckons him. This is a true story. From the back, he walks to the back. He says, Pastor, I don't know what's going on here, but there's a hundred people in the parking lot. He has to let the first group go out the back door. He goes outside and says, what, who are you people? They said, God told us to come to this address this afternoon. What do you have for us? He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. Come in. And they all got born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. And that happened over and over and over and over again. And his church went from 75 to thousands. And he didn't advertise. He didn't invite anybody. I'm not saying don't advertise. I'm not saying don't invite people. We should. But my point is God can grow a church supernaturally. Don't let your mind fight you on how God is going to do it. All out. My job is just to tell you that God said it's going to happen. And my job and your job is just to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Can I finish off with a couple last thoughts? My God, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm... The glory of it has stayed on me since Thursday morning. Why would God use us? I have no idea. I mean, I know I'm devilishly handsome, but still, I mean, I just have no idea. You know what the Lord said to me, Lorraine? In that Thursday prayer, when I'm, and he shows me that, and I'm like, oh my God, I see it, Lord. I see it, Lord. Oh my God, I see it, Lord. And then, and then I said to him in my heart, I said, Lord, how do I do this? And he said, just speak. And then I said, Lord, what does surge mean? Dramatic means big, but what does, what does it mean? What, what numbers are we talking about? And he said, it is, I'm telling you what he said to me. You take it or leave it. He said, it is impossible for your building to hold the people. That's what he said. And he said, do not be concerned about the building and do not think that your landlord has the power to stop my plans. I have everything in control. I have the right building at the right time, but it's not this one. Now, he didn't say we can't buy this one. He just said, for that surge, this building's not sufficient. I said, but Lord, are you listening? I said, but Lord, where then? Oh, my God, I had forgotten. It's so easy. We forget. He reminded me. Tears started coming down my eyes when I realized how much I had forgotten. And he said, do you remember when the prophet Randy Greer stood in your midst? I said, yes. I didn't know where he was going with that. He said, do you remember I took him into the future? I said, Yes. He said, do you remember he told you that he stood in your next church? God took him in the future and he stood in a building and he said it sat about three to four thousand people and it was jam packed full. And he saw me as the pastor sitting there two seconds and he was right back here. He had an out of body experience. And the Lord said to me, now you take the scissors, but that's what he said to me. He said he was standing in your surge building. He said, your surge right now, you have three to 400. He said, this surge will bring a tenfold increase and it will take you to three to 4,000. And that's the building I had him stand in. And he said, and it's for Hebron, not Jerusalem. Now he didn't say anything else to me. So I'm speculating now, but if God follows the same pattern in Jerusalem that he's doing in Hebron, remember he told me back yonder years ago, the mantle at downtown Bond Street 
1917 to 1922 with Willard Pierce as the pastor. That mantle from Amy Simple McPherson that Dr. Saul come on this church. That mantle had at its height 15,000 people. Remember, he said, if you're faithful, I'll give you Elisha. Isn't it interesting that he's using Elisha's story? I mean, you can't make this up. He said, if you're faithful, I'll give you Elisha's double portion of 30,000. And now he's using Elisha in the story about the surge. I mean, how do you make that up? And then I said, but Lord, I only have 300, including kids back then. And he said, if you're faithful, I'll give you a hundredfold return. My word says that you can have a hundredfold. A hundredfold on 300 is 30,000. That's two words that came, about 30,000. And then I'm sitting here on Thursday, and he says to me, there is going to be a dramatic influx, and that building is your surge building, and it will hold 10 times the people you have now. Now, he didn't say anything else, but I suspect, and it's only a suspicion, that probably if he follows the same pattern, if it was tenfold from three to four hundred to three to four thousand in Jerusalem, when we have that last day revival, it's probably going to be the same pattern in another building that will be tenfold from three to four thousand to thirty thousand. I'm speculating, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. And then so I'm telling you, these are heavy things. And so I've been saying to the Lord, Lord, I just agree. I, I'm freaked. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I, Lord, you, you, you came to me. You told me I'm going to see some things. I didn't ask you. You came to me. I disagree with you. I agree with you. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I agree with you. And he said, go back and remind yourselves of the prophecies. Now, I'd forgotten some of these prophecies. It'll take me maybe four minutes to share them with you, and then we'll close. But he said, I want to remind you of the prophecies. The first one he reminded me was Dr. Dufresne in Peru, 2004. That was the private mantle ceremony. The public was when the roof disappeared and he saw in an open vision the mantle come. That was six years later in 2010. But remember, he said the first six years we had to position ourselves, right? And it started in Peru with the same prophet like Samuel, Dr. Dufresne. And he called me out in front of everybody, although I didn't know anybody and nobody knew me. He didn't even know me. I didn't know him. And he said these words. Can you put that up on the screen about the ants? This is what he said. I see them coming like ants. Marching in perfect rank and file, coming from all directions, coming to your church by the hundreds and the thousands. And then he said, are you a pastor? And I said, no. And he said, well, do you want to be a pastor? And I said, no. And I remember he looked at me like, well, I don't understand then. He said, but according to the word of the Lord, be it done unto you if you want it. Remember Jenny? And he walked off. I'd never met him. This first time he'd ever laid eyes on me. I wouldn't meet him knowing him until years later. I only met him in 2008. Personally, this was in 2004. And the Lord said, now remember the prophecies that have been spoken over you. Doctored before any of this, before we even started the church, Greg, he said he saw them coming like ants by the hundreds and the thousands. So when God says you're going to have a surge forward from hundreds to thousands, well, that's already been spoken. Just believe it. Listen, growing the church with four or five people is not a surge. And then we're all excited, Lorraine, in our staff meeting. And I say, how many did we add this month? And Taylor goes, we got 11 people. Glory! 11 people. And I said, but how many, how many rejects, how many rats jumped out of the ship? Well, eight of them jumped out of the ship. So we have a net profit of three. Net profit of three is not something to say glory about. And we have a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here and a little bit there. And none of that's a surge. When God says a surge is coming, he's talking about hundreds of people literally overnight. And I don't know how that's going to happen. Something dramatic has to happen. 
Maybe they'll drive by and they'll see the building on fire like that pastor in Phoenix. They saw the building on fire and the fire marshal came and the, all the things were with the fire hoses and they couldn't put the fire out. And it was on the news. And they said, we have never seen such things, fire that does not consume buildings. Because they saw in the natural eye the fire of God on a building and the whole city saw it. Maybe God's going to do that. Maybe I'll just show up one morning and Taylor will say, Pastor, you better get here. There's 400 people in the parking lot. I don't know what to do with them and I don't even know why they're here. Maybe God will have us raise the dead on CBC News for all the devils to see. Maybe somebody will come who's a politician's son that has no eyes. And eyes pop into his head because that's a sign and a wonder. And he'll go back to tell his daddy there's a church that has the power of God. And, that, and I don't know how God's going to do it. I'm just telling you something is about to happen. And it's going to be within the Hebron year, seven years. And I don't know when, but he said, just start saying it now, son. Remember, remember this happened almost to the day of six months into the year. This happened on July 2nd. He said it's a seven and a half year period. We have seven years and God is, that's the year, time number of perfection. He, I'm not surprised that he's telling us now, so we'll start to say it and pray it, say it and pray it, say it and pray because it's coming. Do you remember Jacob's was here, the, not the last time, but the time before? And he stood in this pulpit and he said, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my, there's an explosion coming to this church. See, you know, you all heathens, you forgot that. But that's what he said. He said, there's an explosion coming to this church, an explosion of growth. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. Because I wasn't then where I am now. But God said it then so that I'd, I'd remember that he was saying it long before I even believed it. Yeah. Remember Greer came and said privately, he said, glory center, yeah. glory center. This will be a center where the glory of God will be seen and people will come from all directions to see the glory. Doctors saying they're coming like ants. Greer saying they're coming to the glory center. Jacobs is saying there's going to be an explosion. Pastor Nancy saying a divine influx, a dramatic influx of divine joinings. Pastor Nancy saying the voice grows. Pastor Nancy saying the pace will increase and be noticeable in its change. There's so much. And don't forget Dr. Savell. The first time I picked him up in his private jet at the airport. And I said, sir, what an honor. <laughs> and a privilege it is to have you. And in the car, he said, young man, I need to tell you something. I said, yes, sir. And I'm trying to drive. Like, I'm trying to listen. When I get, and then I miss exits. And I just, I'm such, I'm such a good driver, except when people are talking to me and I'm trying to listen. I don't know. I'll find ourselves in, in some other city. So I said, sir, you, you better just let me, let me drive real slow because otherwise I'm not going to be able to pay attention. And he said, I need to tell you something, young man. He called me young man then. And he said, I was in the plane circling Toronto waiting to land. And the word of the Lord came to me. And the Lord, now when Jerry says that, you, pay, you take it to the bank. And he said, God said to me, the revival that I used you in at Evangel Temple did not finish. It ended prematurely. But I will conclude that revival with you through this church. That's what he said. We have to remember those words. Lest at any time they slip out of our, rack, out of our reach. He said we're going to have a revival. And that revival was the, that shook evangel, I'm telling you, to its core. I'm talking about people that I knew them, man. I was there. I was a leader. I had keys to all the rooms. I'd watch and sneak in and look at people. <laughs> 
I, I don't want to admit it, but once Jesse Duplantis came, but I wanted a little bit of the anointing. So I snuck into the bathroom where he changed, and I took his coat, and I was rubbing his coat on me, and I was wearing his coat. And, and, then, I, and then I felt guilty. I said, I shouldn't be doing this. And I put his coat back in the hangar, and I scurried out. I mean, they gave me so much. I, I was such a rascal. But I was so hungry for God anyway. <laughs> but... Uh, but Jerry, I, I knew people, I knew they were heathens. Some of those people at Evangel were heathens, good heathens. Good, born again, but heathens nonetheless. They don't pray for nothing. I'm talking about the whole church, Lorraine. I'm talking about every, almost 99%. There's always some that will even miss the revival because they're that carnal. But the vast majority of semi-carnal will get swept up in the flow. I'm talking about hundreds, and there was 2,500 people at that time. Hundreds, you remember, Mom, hundreds of people would come right after work in their work clothes, miss dinner, fast, and come and pray. You could hear them in all the rooms upstairs, this hum like a beehive of prayer. They'd be in the sanctuary because you couldn't fit them in the prayer room, and they'd be kneeling down praying, and this hum and roar of prayer was all over the building, and then Jerry would come out with Pastor, he'd come out with Pastor Bud on the stage, and the presence of God would fall. People would be instantly healed. People would be saved. And that went for 40-something, 40 46 days every day. That was a revival. And God told him that's not over, that it's going to happen at this church. Could that surge be a part of it? I wonder. The ants are coming. The glory center's coming. The explosion's coming. The dramatic influx is coming. If he said it to the king, it happened. Don't, let's not touch it with our thought life. Let's just agree. Father, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you said that you want to grow. The, why you say, why do you need so many people? Why do you need, because we cannot fulfill the vision of the mantle with 400 people. The mantle is for Toronto. We cannot, I'm telling you, we cannot fulfill the vision of the mantle without a larger force. It's going to take more influence. It's going to take more money. It's going to take television. It's going to, there's going to be lawsuits that we're probably going to have to pay. There's going to be a tax. It's going to take a great force of power, of prayer, of finances, a whole army of people to be able to get this mantle to do its job in this darkened, demon-possessed city. We are living in the darkest city in Canada. And it's going to take the power of God to shake the tree. And we're one of others. I'm not saying we're the only ones, but the mental has been assigned to us to shake the tree. And it's not going to do with 400 people. You're going to need an army, which is why God is saying, son, just agree with me. I know in the natural, you probably don't even want it, Craig, but just agree with me. I want it for you. And the, you, for the mental to fulfill itself, you've got to have an army. Praise God. Did you see it, Sandra? One day at a time, nothing. And then one month at a time, nothing, and then surge. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I say he'll do it. Make sure you stay put with me. Don't get separated. Listen to what I said in the offering. Don't make it unnecessarily inconvenient for yourself. Don't give the devil an open door to get you to talk you out of coming to church. Don't get so busy at home. Make sure you're praying every day. I'm not going to say it now, but while I was sitting there during the worship, I don't, this seems to be a pattern now. I don't know what's going on. On the second service worship, last week he talked to me, the week before he talked to me, and today he talked to me. And he told me, I'm not going to share it. It's not right time to share it. But he said to me, part of the price that you have to pay, he told me, Jenny, part of the price that I have to pay to see this. It's free, but there's a price. And he told me what he wants me to do, part of the price that I have to pay for this kind of power. And he told me, he said, I expect you to start tomorrow. 
And I started weeping and crying because not that I don't want to pay it, but it's a heavy price. And it's something that in my flesh I don't want to do, but I heard him say, I want you to do this. This, this kind of power, this kind of glory doesn't come cheap. It takes a sacrifice. If I can't even get you to show up and tithe, how am I going to get you to pay the price that revival calls for? So let's all pick it up. Let's all put a, shine our boots and pull up our straps and say, Father, we're ready for what this, uh, this mantle asks us to, of. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless every person in this room. I thank you for their kind attention to your word, for their hungry hearts, and for their open hearts that have received the scriptures today and the prophetic word through those scriptures. Lord, I know this is heavy, but I, this is what you told me to do. You said we're in a new room in this mansion. This new room held the surging message. This new room held the revelation that we're going to surge forward. I agree with the prophet, Pastor Nancy, who said a dramatic influx of divine joinings. I agree with you, Father, because you said it through her. I agree with what you said through me that there'll be a surging. And I thank you, Father. I don't know when it will come, and I don't need to know when. You will take care of that. I don't know what building we're going to have, and I don't need to know. You will take care of that. I don't know how it's going to come. I don't need to know. You will take care of that too. All I need to do is agree with my heart and my mouth. So I tell you, Father, on record in front of this great congregation and those watching, Father, I'm like Mary, be it unto me according to thy word. It looked impossible for her to give birth to a baby that when she had not had, had, not had relations with a man, but she said, be it unto me according to thy word. No matter how impossible it is, be it unto me. Father, no matter how impossible this may look or seem in the natural, I say, this congregation says, be it unto us, Father, according to your word. If that's what the mantle calls for, if that's what the assignment for Toronto calls for, if that's what you want, Father, be it unto us, we agree. We don't need to understand it or figure it out. We agree. We don't touch it in our thought life or the mental arena. We agree. You will do it and it will surely come to pass. And it will be like the psalmist said, wondrous in our eyes, marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done great things and it is marvelous in our eyes. Oh, I thank you, Father. That will be our testimony when this is all said and done. The Lord has done great things and it is marvelous in our eyes. So, Father, we commit ourselves in this new season, this, this new room within the season of Hebron, that we will obey you, we will pay the price you ask us to pay, and most importantly, we will stay put, we'll stay with our man of God, we'll stay faithful to you and faithful to the local church, and we'll start to say the vision in our hearts and in our mouth. It will surely come to pass. A dramatic influx of divine joinings and a surging forward will surely come to pass. And that's our job, and we'll let you perform it, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus. Remember, they had to fill the pots with water and they had to pour the water out. Then God turned it to wine. We have to fill the pots with water and we have to pour it out. Just do our part, which is saying and believing. And then God will do the miracle. Amen. Our job to do the work, his job to do the miracle. Amen. Praise God. It's going to happen, Reverend Sandra. You know, all these, all these years, people, God's been saying, you know, about the 30,000. And, and I got to confess to you, when, when people like, like Rob and Kim and others would say, oh yeah, pastor, I've been in these big churches and you know, we're going to have it. I'd look at them and I'd smile and I'd go, yeah, but I, I, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. It wasn't real to me. Even though God had said it, it wasn't real to me. But Thursday morning, he pulled it back and it became real to me. Now I can see it in the spirit. I can see it. 
I can't see 30, but I can see three. I can see three to four. My hand of faith, it's 30 is beyond me right now. I'll get there. But I can reach out, Jenny, and I can just grab the three to four, and I can start pulling it toward me. It's going to come to pass. Whether you like it or not, it's coming. Praise God. Hallelujah. And we're going to be a force in this city. And the devils are going to know that there's a church of the word and spirit that holds high the banner of righteousness. And miracle signs and wonders will be a norm for us. It will be commonplace. My God. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus will be exalted. And thousands will become born again for the first time. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I glorify you, Father, and I say, Hallelujah. Let it be so according to your word. In Jesus' name I pray.